Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Corey Carr, and I'm a senior at Riverview High School. Today is Student Ministry Sunday. Students in middle school and high school are serving and helping to lead worship today. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Oh God, our thoughts are clear when we think of you. Our words are pure when we praise you. Our hearts are true when we get to know you. Although we are unworthy to approach you, or to ask anything of you at all. Grant us your grace and blessing for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Let us confess our sins and ask God for forgiveness by praying the prayer of confession together. God of life, give us your forgiveness. We think carelessly, we've said mean things, and we've done things we aren't proud of. In a world that is sad and hurting, we are indifferent. We look past those we see in need. We satisfy ourselves in our eyes, but not in the eyes of you, Lord. God of life, please forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered on a Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now turn and say hello to those around you. Good morning. We welcome you this morning on uh, Student Ministry Sunday. We're glad, glad to have all of our students here worshiping with us and leading us in worship. We're grateful for that. I wore a black robe today just so you could tell me apart from the students. <laughs> we are glad if you are the first time here, we uh, welcome you. We hope that you will sign the friendship pad which goes past the 
pews, and we hope that you will note those folks who are sitting near you. If you've been worshiping with us for a long, long time, uh, keep an eye out for a name you don't recognize and take a moment after the service to greet them and make them feel welcome here at Church of the Palms. We again have a bulletin that is chock full of uh, opportunities for you to be in ministry with us, to be about the journey of discipleship, to be uh, formed spiritually in the midst of the body of Christ. So we hope you will take advantage of all those opportunities that are before you uh, today. Just want to call your, to your attention a couple of things. We have a Legacy Society brunch next week, and those of you who have uh, made arrangements for the church and your estate planning are invited to be a part of that. If you are wondering if you're a member of that society, you may want to reach out to me or to John Mercier and find out if you uh, can be a part of that event next week. Uh, in a couple of weeks, our men will be on retreat, and they will be taking the day, March the 8th, up at uh, a retreat center up in Ellington to uh, spend some time to be together in fellowship with one another and to grow together. If you are a man, you are invited to come and be a part of that. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about that, please uh, check the church office and we would love to have you join us. Speaking of strong men, uh, we want to uh, celebrate today, today the 101st birthday of Art Hoffman, who is a member of our church. 101, yeah, Art. <laughs> Up until just a few weeks ago, Art was in church every Sunday, and, but he's not been able to the last few weeks, but I think he's watching on TV. So on the count of three, we're gonna say happy birthday, Art. So he knows that he's getting greetings from his uh, church family. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Happy <laughs> birthday, Art. Yes. And when you turn 101, you can have that too. <laughs> Jeff McCauley, the director of our student ministry is here to share with us a little bit about what student sponsorship is all about and how you can be a part of this great ministry. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. It is on, it is on, there it is, all right. Good morning, is that better? Okay. Uh, we're glad to be in worship with you this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be here and to be present with you. It is a blessing for us to be here in this place. Time. We're all bound by it. We all wish we had more of it. In a day when calendars and day planners and bells and buzzers rule our everyday life, it's hard to find time to be with God. Our students are no different than us as adults who have a hard time finding time for God. Every day they are given a choice to either be a slave to the clock and follow the grinding motion of everyday life so that they can view time as a something to be conquered for their own personal gain. However, they also have the choice to see time from God's perspective. For when we see time from God's perspective, we begin to see that there's more to the story. There's more to the story than just us and our ambition. God is up to something. And so as we were planning our student sponsorship for this year, 2014, we felt like the theme of time was appropriate. We, in Church of the Palms Student Ministry and Church of the Palms overall, seek to help our students see time from God's perspective, to see it in a way 
that shows them that they are more than what everyone else in the world is telling them. That God has gifted them with time to bring him glory. And so for this student sponsorship season, we would invite you to enter into the story of time with our students. In your bulletins this morning, and also some of you received letters this week, you'll notice a card, a pew card, that has the word time on it, and it says student sponsorship. There are many ways in which you can support us as student ministry and support our students. You can support us through prayer. You can support us through your time of giving uh, sacrificially through your times in service of our students, uh, whether you're volunteering or, or going on a trip with us. But you can also serve us and serve our students and God by giving of your financial gifts. Without our sponsorship program, many of our ministry programs would not be possible. And many of these stories that you're going to hear today in both the 9 and the 11 service would not be here without your gift of prayer and time and financial giving. And so we would encourage you this morning to prayerfully consider one or all three of those ways to serve our students. As the offering plate comes by, if you already know I'm ready to give, then you can drop that card in the offering plate along with your gift, uh, or you can submit that back to us in the next few weeks uh, as a way of showing that you support our student ministry, and we would be thrilled beyond belief. So won't you join us? Won't you join us as we attempt to teach our students what it means to see time from God's perspective? Because after all, it's his time. He's the one who created it. Let's watch this video. He existed before there were clocks to watch. Before the earth knew to revolve around the sun, he intended our lives to revolve around the sun. Imagine a hand large enough to hold all of time, a hand not bound by second hand, fingers that never lose a grain of sand from your hourglass. He invented time, exists in and beyond time. Minutes don't constrict the power of who he is or what he can do. His concept of time is beyond anything our minds can imagine. In our reality, there is no rewind, no do-over. We don't know whether there will be a next time, another try, or a second chance, which is why we have to count time as a precious gift, an amazing blessing that we get to coexist with the one who invented it. He has our every minute recorded before we arrive, before our parents look into our eyes. From beginning to end, he knows our whole timeline. I wonder when it comes to changing me to look more like him, if he's got the time. But he reads my mind, says he's got all the time in the world plus eternity. But me, I think I've got no time to waste, which makes me wonder why he likes to make me wait. He'll use as many seconds as he has to prove he'd never come second to anyone or anything or any dream or any scheme I plot to try and make my life mean something without him. Without him, I am a watch without face, a clock without hands. An hourglass whose sands just weren't able to last long enough A vapor, a breath, a finite mind attempting to guess at infinity Sometimes I feel like time is passing me by That hours turn into days and I can't seem to control which way I'm going Is it that I never have enough free time Or is it that I don't take the time to be free? 
why would a God so great invest his seconds on me? So I ask him to help me to place my hours at his feet, surrender my every moment because he knows better than me what's best for me. Only he has eyes to see from history to eternity. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan Mowen, and today is just a special day for me because I haven't really had a chance to experience much of this church because I've only been here for a short amount of time, but it's been a blessing to experience what has happened and the results. I was so shy getting to know people when I got here. It did take a couple of months, but after that, it really did feel like a warm welcome. But there is one big night that really got to me. It really did hit me. There were a couple of things that made it special. I'm in 11th grade, but I had the opportunity to go on the middle school retreat even though no one really knew who I was. During the retreat, I got to know everyone, literally. I talked to almost everyone face to face. The thing that really hit me was singing on the beach, we sang the song, I Will Rise by Chris Tomlin. That really affected me because I sang that song to my grandmother in the nursing home, and while I was in the middle of the song, she passed away. It, re it was really hard for me. I started to cry just thinking about that. But there was a girl sitting next to me, Shayla Cochran. She put her arm around me and just hugged me. Just to think about the fact that someone barely knew me, hugged me, it just makes me feel like I'm not judging this church for who I am and how long I've been here. I really do feel like I can relate to the people at this church. I really do feel lucky because I feel like I'm an older brother to all these younger kids, and I have the chance to protect them and just be there for them and help them with any problems, emotional, physical, or spiritual. For any parents that think about a youth program, I would strongly recommend sending them to Pulse. Let them know that they are welcome here, and even if they are shy, I'll just explain to them my story. You can come up here, Jeff. Like I said, I've only been here for a short amount of time, but this is the best youth leader I've ever got to know, and he's like a second dad to me. I'd just like to say that uh, we're getting ready to sing the song, I Will Rise. This was not planned. I had no idea that Ryan was going to share about this song uh, when I planned this song as a part of this service. So clearly God was up to something uh, and had his hand in all of the planning of this. So this is the song that Ryan was talking about, unplanned. Uh, so uh, we hope that it's a blessing to you. There's an anchor for my soul 
can say it is well Jesus has overcome and the grave is overwhelmed the victory is won he is risen from the dead and I will sorrow, no more pain. I will rise on eagle's wings before my God. Fall on my knees and rise. I will rise. There's a day that's drawing when this darkness breaks to light and the shadows disappear and my faith shall be my eye jesus has overcome and the grave is overwhelmed the victory
Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your incredible love and patience that no other can give us. We are stubborn and selfish, yet you always encourage us to come home. We turn to you with our prayers for healing and restoration, for strength and courage, knowing that you have a plan for each of us. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, suffering through the endless violence. Give them comfort and peaceful minds during this treacherous period. We pray for the men and women who honorably serve our country and for their families who love and miss them. Father, we pray for those who are hurting, those suffering from depression, addictions, and other physical and mental diseases. Please be with them through their recovery. Lord, we pray for our students. Help us to stand up for what's right in a world full of indifference. Give us the strength to strive to resemble you in all the decisions we make. Give us courage to surround ourselves only with people who lead us closer to you. We are never alone, so please help us to remember that. As your people, we pray this in the words you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, glory forever. Amen. We now invite the ushers to wait upon us as we present our tithes and offerings to God.
Father. We humbly offer to you these gifts and thanks for all you have given to us. For you have given us everything. All that we are and all that we do was created by you. Lord, we pray that this offering can serve as a token of our gratitude and provide protection for the weak, shelter for the homeless, nourishment for the hungry, and hope for the hopeless. Most importantly, we pray that this offering brings you satisfaction and glory and honor. Amen. We would now like to welcome our children up for our children's moment. Good morning. Thank you for being here today. All righty. Well, thank you for joining NBC News today for this special report. We're taking a break from our Olympic coverage to go live on the streets of Jerusalem and interview people. We'll be asking them the age-old question, how do you get eternal life? Sir, what do you think? No problem. I mean, I am a Pharisee, so I'm pretty used to people wanting to know what I think. Wow, you sound really important. It's a pleasure to meet you. You haven't touched any dead animals lately, have you? Uh, no. Okay. Anyway, the question is, how do you get eternal life? Oh, that's an easy one. It depends on who you are. For example, I'm Jewish, which means I'm one of God's chosen people. Plus, I'm a Pharisee, which means I'm an important religious leader. It's a pretty big deal. Wow, okay, so be Jewish and be a Pharisee. <laughs> Sir, do you have a minute to answer a question? No thanks, I'm actually, wait, is that a camera? Okay, but then I have to get to the temple. I have this <laughs> giant bag of money to give as an offering. Anyway, the question is, how do you get eternal life? Good question. Easy answer. All you have to do is just follow the rules that God says, and you're golden. And you've done all that? And more. Well, I gotta go. <laughs> okay. According to religious leaders, you need to be important, and you need to follow all the rules. But how do we know what all the rules are? And do we need to follow every single rule all the time, or just the ones we feel like following? Maybe we should ask a few more people. Sir, do you know the answer to how you get eternal life? I am Nicodemus. If you had asked me this question yesterday, I probably would have said something about being Jewish or being a Pharisee, both of which I am, or even about following all of God's rules. But now I'm not so sure. What made you change your mind? It was Jesus. I snuck away last night to hear him. I've heard him teaching, and some of the stuff he said has caused quite a stir, especially with the Pharisees. He told me this, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they've been born again. And how does someone be born again? Jesus said everyone who believes in me can live with God forever. Jesus seems to be saying that eternal life comes through believing in him. This changes everything. Wow. Okay, folks, so you've heard it. Be someone important, follow all the rules, or listen to what Jesus says. What, what does the crowd think? <laughs> Listen to Jesus. All right, Ryan, thank you. In, 
In John 3.16, we learn that Jesus loved the world, God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son so that we would live forever with him. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for sending your son and that eternal life does not depend on who we are, what we do, but depends on believing in him and following his word. Thank you. Amen. Good morning. I'm Rachel Mallett. I'm 14 years old and in eighth grade. I've been going to this church since I was one, but I didn't start to get a real and true connection with God until the end of seventh grade. This church has done so much for me. I now have this incredible relationship with God. I feel God's power inside and out. It's an amazing feeling. When I have God within me, I know that I always have someone there, even when I'm alone. It's so hard to put in words the emotions I get when I learn about God and worship him. A couple of weeks ago, during the confirmation lock-in, Jeff said that we are going to be picking apart the Lord's Prayer. And he said, I know this sounds boring, but trust me, it's pretty cool. And I told him after that when he said that, I was not thinking it was gonna be boring. I was actually saying to myself, Oh my gosh, we get to learn about the Lord's Prayer? Yay! Like, that sounds fun to me. I love learning about God, and later when we went through the Lord's Prayer stations, I was overflowing with so many emotions. It was incredible. I just started bawling. It's fascinating how much of an effect he can have on you, and I wasn't alone. Many others were crying too, and we were just hugging each other and letting go. I love how all of us get so close after lock-ins, retreats, and mission trips. I love every single one of those guys, and every time I get a chance to learn more about God and bond with them, I swell up with joy. I love God, this church, and everyone in it so much, and I'm extremely excited for the trips this summer. Thank you. Our reading today comes from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human being point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human being point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. This is all from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, was the reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, 
and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal to us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. This is the world, the word of the Lord. The other thing that's distinguishing me from these students is that I'm the only one that's not reading from an iPhone when I'm up here, so. <laughs> Aren't these guys great? Let's give them a. My favorite Sunday of the year, except that I have to preach, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> We are uh, looking at the Apostles' Creed, and uh, actually just not too long ago, I was with the confirmation class and uh, talking through the Apostles' Creed with them. And so it has been a joy for me to have the chance to um, reflect with them and with you about the Apostles' Creed. And we find ourselves at that part of the Creed where we focus on uh, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, dead, and buried. What a wonderful theme for a youth ministry Sunday, right? We have been, uh, look, we looked just a minute ago at the text from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and now we look at a very familiar story from Luke chapter 15. Hear the word of God. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he would have gladly filled himself with the paws that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, Bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. 
He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. He replied, well, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your mercy and through your grace, O Lord, allow us to hear this story, this old, old, old story in a new way that we may become a part of it and it may become a part of us. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a boy, I used to spend hours and hours throwing a rubber-coated hardball against the side of our garage. It was a brick garage and a perfect place to practice the fielding of ground balls. When I was young, I played shortstop and that was a great way to practice ground balls. You threw the ball against the wall and it was immediately at a ground ball. And I would do that all the time. My dad used to warn me though of the window that was right next to the place where I threw the rubber coated hard ball and suggested that maybe I could come up with another place. And because we lived in the church manse, the church owned house, my father being a pastor, he was always doubly worried about his boys and what they might do to the house because he would then have to bring the damage report to the Board of Trustees. So many times my father would tell me not to throw the ball into such a precarious place, but often when he was not around, I did. And sure enough, one Sunday after church before Dad came home, a throw to the side of the garage went errant and found the window crash. You know the feeling in the stomach of a boy who has done something like that. You know how I felt as I sat on the front step waiting for my father to come home to tell him the news. You know the tremble in my hand as he walked up the sidewalk. You know the cringe on my forehead as I told him the story. You know because you've been there. You have been in those moments when there is this big question in your mind as to what is going to happen when this person who is supposed to love me learns a truth about me? What is going to happen when this person who's supposed to love me learns a truth about me? You can imagine the surprise when after getting myself into a big lather and having told my father the truth about me, hearing my father say, well, son, it happens in the best of families. 
Never was I so relieved. Of course, the next sentence out of his mouth was that it was going to cost me a bunch of weeks of allowance, too. <laughs> What's going to happen when this person who's supposed to love me learns a truth about me? Back in my student ministry days, I once worked with a student who had run away from home. I will name him Chris. Chris had made a few bad choices, and his parents had done their best to love him through those bad choices with some balance of law and grace. But in high school, the balance of parental law and grace is always up for interpretation and debate. So finally, Chris decided to run away. He ran away so he could live life on his own terms. And after a few months of living life on his own terms, it got kind of old. But then came the question, could he go back? What would happen if he went back? How would these people who were supposed to love me, what would they do about this truth about me, a runaway? And Chris told me of the nights he would drive by his house and see the porch light on and how every time he would go by, it would never fail to be on. 11 p.m. it was on. 2 a.m. it was on. 5 a.m. it was on. The whole street was dark except for the light in front of his house. He never remembered his parents leaving that light on before, but now it was on all the time. And it dawned on him that that was the sign. The sign that said, it was time to learn what these people who were supposed to love him would do with a son who had run away from them. That is so much the journey of life, isn't it? The discovery of what love is, the discovery of how far love will go. For these people who are supposed to love me, what will they do when they learn the real truth about me? And so Jesus tells a story about the two sons, two sons who are not quite sure of the love of their father. They don't quite know how far the father's love will go, how unconditional this love really is. One of the boys, the younger, is anxious to test it. He decides to claim his inheritance early, take the family money, run away. Let's see how dad handles this, he says. And the father gives him the money and lets him go. The other stays at home with the chores and the three square meals. And so there comes the time when, the, when for the younger boy, when the money runs out and the options close and he decides that it's time to head home to see if the front porch light is on. And he's ready with his statement. A statement that tells his father that it's all right not to treat him as a son. It's all right not to love him. It's all right just to treat him like a hired slave. He is afraid, you see, to test how far the love of the father will go. Well, we know the story. The boy makes his way home, and not only is the front porch light on, but there is this father bounding down the street toward him. Father, he says, Father, you can't love me like this. I have a statement to make. It is all right not for you to treat me like a son. It's all right not to love me. But before he can continue, the father wraps him in a bear hug and says, I know the truth. I know the truth about you. 
and I still love you. And now comes the robe and the ring and the fatted calf and the band and the party because for the father, the greatest truth he knows about that boy is that he's his son. No other truth trumps it. He is his son. What about me, the older son asks. Because the truth is about me is that I would have loved the fatted calf too, you know. I've got a little resentment about Junior here, you know. I wished I could have had a little walk on the wild side myself, you know. And the father says, I know. I know, I know, I know. And still, all that is mine is yours. Unconditional love may be one of the hardest things for human beings to understand. Because the truth is, so much of the love we experience in this world is conditional love. Love with strings attached. Love with a few question marks. Love with some lingering doubts. What will this person who is supposed to love me, what will they do when they find out the real truth about me? Truth is, broken windows and runaway sons are not always met with gracious responses. Unconditional love may be one of the hardest things for us human beings to understand. We've talked before about Victor Hugo's great story, Les Miserables, when the ex-convict Jean Valjean, after having been shunned at every doorstep, finally knocks on the door of the compassionate bishop who welcomes him and serves him a feast with the finest silver. And in the middle of the night, the hardened ex-con rises and returns the favor by stealing the silver and running away. Hours later, being caught by the police, he is returned to the bishop for identification, and the bishop, who by title is supposed to love him, having learned the truth now about him, says that not only had he given the silver to Valjean, but that he had forgotten the candlesticks. His grace, later he tells Valjean, his grace was meant to purchase his soul. Now we know that part of the story. But what we may not remember is that after such an act of grace, Jean Valjean makes his way into the countryside and because he cannot quite grasp what has just happened, he sees a boy playing what would be with for us a couple of quarters and what does he do? He steals the quarters. He's been given the silver but he steals the quarters. He cannot grasp the truth of what has just happened and who he really is, that he has been graced and he is a graced person. So when we get to that part of the creed, when we say of Jesus that he was crucified, dead and buried, it would only be human of us not to fully grasp what we have just said. We have said it enough times perhaps not even to allow the words to penetrate our souls, to not be startled by the non sequitur of our creedal statement, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. What did we say? 
that the Word made flesh, the incarnate God, was tortured, killed, and buried? What is this about? And it is about the mission of Christ. And the mission of Christ is about putting an end to the question, to put an end to the question that we human beings have about the nature of the Father's love. What will this God, who is supposed to love me, what will this God do when he learns the truth about me? Well, of course, he's always known the truth about you. He knows about the silver, about the broken window. He knows about the runaway to the far country. He knows all that, and yet somehow there is a truth he knows even more and the truth he knows even more is about you being a daughter and you being a son that's the truth that trumps all the other truths and the man on the cross is there to put an end to the question about how far God will go to reveal his love for you about how unconditional unconditional is. Nothing on our part need be said to this. No statements need to be prepared, no speeches of disclaimer offered. It is finished, Jesus says, accomplished, completed. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He says it to those who are conspiring against him, and he doesn't even await around for their response. It is just so. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Whatever battle we thought we still had to fight, whatever speeches we thought we still had to make, all that is over, Jesus says. It is finished. Hiro Onoda died last month. You might remember Hiro Onoda, or read his obituary. He was the Japanese soldier who fought for the Imperial Army of Japan in World War II in the Philippines. And when the war was over, no one told him. No one told him that he didn't have to fight anymore. No one told him that the battle was over. So Onoda kept fighting and fighting and fighting until 1974, 29 years after the end of World War II. They finally got to him to tell him that the battle was over. Unconditional surrender had been given almost 30 years before. Peace had been established. Reconciliation had occurred. But in all that time, Hiro'o had been fighting and sadly, 30 Filipinos died as a result of his continued battle after the end of the war. Don't you wonder what life might be like if we could simply grasp how unconditional, unconditional is. That whatever the truth is about us, we don't have to battle anymore for the love of God who is supposed to love us. We truly have been reconciled. End of question. Frederick Buechner put it this way, people are prepared for everything except for the fact that beyond the darkness of their blindness, there's a great light. 
They are prepared to go breaking their backs, plowing the same old field until the cows come home without seeing, until they stub their toes on it, that there is a treasure buried in the field rich enough to buy Texas. They are prepared, he continues, for a God who strikes hard bargains, but not for a God who gives as much for an hour's day, hour's work as for a day's. They are prepared for a mustard seed size of the kingdom of God, no bigger than the eye of a newt, but not for the great banyan tree it becomes with birds and branches singing Mozart. They are prepared for the potluck supper at First Presbyterian, but not for the marriage feast of the Lamb. Don't you wonder what ha might happen inside of us if somehow the unconditional love of God penetrated our souls and awakened us to truly be his children. New creations, Paul says. Th that's what we would be. We would be new creations. The past finished and gone. Everything fresh and new. Free finally to live this incredible life of grace for the sake of those who do not yet know that the battle is over. To live the life such that the porch light is kept on. That the runaways are welcomed home. That we get to feast together with the finest silver that we can say to all the sons and daughters. It happens in the best of families. Why to imagine such life. Why it would be to leave yourself speechless.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.